Today, I will analyze the economic, social, and political impacts of the embargo against Cuba and put the issue on trial by reason. I am your host, Benjamin Rodoff. Before we get started, you can follow Trial by Reason on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, and visit www.trialbyreason.com. Trial by Reason judges issues based on five tiers, history, economics, law, philosophy, and science. A controversial topic is selected each week, and all sides of the debate are analyzed using the best information possible. Trial by Reason is dedicated to treating each issue as complex, and not simply viewing a left versus right solution. I am not a journalist, and this is not a news podcast, but I will generally refrain from giving my opinion on most issues. The greatest weapon against tyranny is truth, and I will, to the best of my ability, give you the truth. The Cuban embargo prevents American companies and some businesses with ties to the United States from trading with Cuba. The United States first instituted an arms embargo against Cuba in 1958 during an armed rebellion led by Fidel Castro against the U.S.-backed regime. However, the arms embargo backfired because the rebels were not being supplied by the U.S., which resulted in Fidel Castro's socialist government coming to power in 1959. Within three months of power, the U.S. began plotting to overthrow Castro. Congress did not wish to lift the embargo, and the Cuban government began to purchase weapons from the Soviet Union in 1960. The U.S. reduced the import quota of Cuban sugar and the U.S. cut government exports of crude oil to the country in 1960. This led to the regime nationalizing all three oil refineries in Cuba, and one of the final acts of the Eisenhower administration was to sever all diplomatic relations between the U.S. and Cuba in 1961. After the failed Bay of Pigs invasion, the Cuban government officially declared itself Marxist. Congress passed the Foreign Assistance Act, which allowed the president to impose a trade embargo if necessary, and the Organization of American States suspended Cuba. Sanctions were then imposed on Cuba by the OAS, and President John F. Kennedy officially began the embargo in early 1962, and expanded it in late 1962. Following the Cuban Missile Crisis, travel restrictions were enacted and all Cuban assets in the U.S. were frozen. Sanctions remained largely unchanged throughout the Johnson, Nixon, and Ford administrations, but they were officially lapsed in 1977. President Jimmy Carter chose not to renew the regulation, and the ban on spending U.S. dollars on Cuba was soon lifted. However, as relations did not improve and Cuba failed to acknowledge basic human rights, the Reagan administration reinstated the embargo in 1982. However, there were a few slight modifications. While business and tourist travel remained restricted, government officials on diplomatic missions, news organizations, persons engaging in research, or anyone visiting close relatives were now exempt. Currently, U.S. citizens are not necessarily banned from visiting Cuba, they are merely banned from making any monetary transactions. In 1996, Cuba shot down two unarmed American planes which killed four Americans, and restrictions were tightened aggressively. The embargo again reinforced in 1992 and 1996, which penalized foreign companies that do business in Cuba and the United States. Obama attempted to lift these penalties, but Congress prevented his ability. In response to pressure from American farmers, certain aspects of the sanctions were modified. Although Cuba initially rejected the trade, they began purchasing some food and medicine from the U.S. as a result of Hurricane Michelle. By 2007, the United States became the largest food supplier of Cuba. In some tourist spots, American brands can be purchased. Many large companies, such as Microsoft and Ford, have walked the line of legality by working with some Cuban suppliers. In 2009, President Barack Obama eased the Cuban travel ban and the first officially sanctioned ship sailed from Miami in 2012. In 2014, it was announced that the U.S. was intending to re-establish relations with Cuba, while the embargo began to thaw considerably until January 2017. The Trump administration reinstated most of the restrictions that were lifted by the Obama administration in their first few months. Those who believe that the embargo should be continued argue that Cuba has not met the conditions required to lift the sanctions. Cuba has responded to U.S. attempts to lift trade barriers in the past with aggression. 
Open travel is insufficient to affect change. Trade would be maintained through the Cuban state rather than Cuban citizens. Cuba has supported various acts of terrorism, and the embargo allows the United States to fight for human rights. Proclamation 344 was issued by President John Fitzgerald Kennedy in order to establish an embargo against the communist threat of Cuba. It has since been strengthened twice in the 1990s, with the Cuban Democracy Act and the Cuban Liberty and Democratic Solidarity Act. Specific conditions were defined for Cuba to follow that would allow the sanctions to be lifted. In order to do so, Cuba must release all political prisoners, legalize all political activity, commit to free and fair elections for representative democracy, respect internationally recognized human rights, grant freedom of the press, and allow labor unions. Despite these reasonable commands, Cuba has not responded. Lifting these sanctions would show Cuba and other fringe countries such as China, Iran, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Bolivia, and North Korea to see America as weak. An image of a weak America would spread anti-American sentiment worldwide, and the Castro regime would live on. Furthermore, the United States has attempted to normalize relations with Cuba in the past, but to no avail. In 1977, U.S. President James Carter attempted to cool the tension between the United States and Cuba by opening a de facto embassy in Havana. However, Fidel Castro did not respond with hope for a better diplomatic relationship with the United States. The dictator orchestrated the Mariel Boatlift, which dumped 125,000 emigrants, including criminals in the United States. Later, in 2003, George W. Bush loosened restrictions for visiting Cuba, but the nation again responded with hostility. Most recently, Barack Obama relaxed U.S. travel policy in 2009, which then allowed unlimited travel for Cubans to visit family members. Unsurprisingly, the Cuban government reacted with hostility. Cuba prosecutes and arrests its own citizens, and the number of monthly detentions continues to rise periodically. In 2011, Barack Obama stated that he had looked for ways to eliminate the Cuban embargo and sought to form a better relationship with Cuba, but Fidel Castro responded by literally calling Barack Obama a stupid emperor. Again in 2015, Barack Obama attempted to normalize relations with Cuba, but they failed to acknowledge human rights. The Cuban government has supported acts of terrorism in the past, and there is little evidence to show that they have attempted to end it. From 1982 to 2015, Cuba was on the list of state sponsors for terrorism, and the Trump administration considered reinstating it. The State Department has consistently found evidence of Cuba harboring U.S. fugitives and providing a safe haven for international terrorist groups. Isn't it terrifying that the Cuban government allows murderers and terrorists to walk free while persecuting those who simply want rights? The government of Cuba has arrested about four to 7,000 citizens annually for political reasons. The Cuban government holds approximately 700,000 prisoners, which is among the highest in the world per capita. Freedom to speech and right to assembly are highly restricted in Cuba, so the United States has the moral obligation to promote human rights in accordance with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. About 3 million people from around the world visit Cuba annually, including more tourists from Canada than any other country. Despite the influx of tourists, the Cuban government controls its people. Cuban nationals are banned from visiting tourist areas, so U.S. citizens would be unable to seriously impact the Cuban government. Continuing on, trade with the United States would benefit the government of Cuba, but not the Cuban people. While maintaining the sanctions, the U.S. is able to assist the people of Cuba while harming the fascist regime. 90% of the Cuban economy is state-owned, which ensures that the government and military reap all of the benefits of international trade. Foreign companies that operate in Cuba hire workers through the state, and wages are devalued 24 to 1. This means that every $50 that a worker earns, they would only see about $2 of it. The U.S. government policy allows Americans to visit and assist their family members in Cuba, and the humanitarian and educational aid are also allowed. Americans provide about $1 billion in remittances every year to Cubans, and Congress has spent about $364 million promoting democracy in Cuba. Until the fascist Cuban regime shows willingness to negotiate, it is unnecessary that the United States keep this embargo in place. Thank you.
Those who believe that the embargo should be lifted argue that Cuba does not pose a threat to the United States. The 50-year policy has failed. The standards held against Cuba are vastly different than those held to other nations. The embargo holds the people of Cuba in the past. Free trade can promote democracy in Cuba. Almost every country opposes the sanctions. Preventing travel to another country is authoritarian. Government harms the people, not the government of Cuba, and it hurts the U.S. economy. It has been almost 60 years since the embargo was implemented, but Cuba has not budged. The era of Cuba having ties to the former Soviet Union is over, and the country poses no threat to U.S. national security. Since the USSR dissolved in 1991, American foreign policy has changed considerably in almost every manner except for the Cuban embargo. Since even 1998, the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency has acknowledged that Cuba does not pose any threat to the United States and the failure of Cuban communism will prevent it from spreading. Fidel Castro has not been president for more than a decade, and it has been two years since any Castro was in charge. If 60 years of sanctions have not toppled Cuban fascism, a new approach is necessary. Secondly, the standards that Cuba are being held to are vastly different than those held to other countries. The U.S. trades with China, it trades with Vietnam, it trades with Venezuela, and many other countries with terrible governments. American citizens are allowed to visit North Korea, Iran, Burma, or other various evil nations. There is no reason for singling Cuba out against a world of more pertinent threats. Furthermore, only about one quarter of Cubans have access to the internet. The government controls access to the World Wide Web and preventing Americans from entering the country prevents Enlightenment ideas from reaching the island state of Cuba. This embargo helps the government while harming the people. Many Cubans are denied access to medicine, food, technology, and many other necessary goods as a result of U.S. trade sanctions. Cuba has access to less than half of the world's available medication, and famine plagues Cuba. Treatment for children for a wide array of diseases are not readily available, and the trade sanctions aggressively harmed the people of Cuba during the COVID-19 pandemic without U.S. support. Additionally, free trade is the most effective way of promoting democracy in Cuba. Trade with China brought 100 million people above the poverty line and has improved access to health care and education. Restricting rights of Americans to visit another country in order to promote democracy is hypocritical and the U.S. has supported dictatorships at various times in the past. It can easily be argued that the current state of Cuba is the fault of the U.S. for this very reason. The American government backed the president and then-dictator Batista in Cuba until 1958 when it was overthrown by Fidel Castro. During this time, political dissenters were imprisoned, tortured, and killed, but the U.S. did not care. Opening Cuba for free trade would force officials to take on a failing healthcare system, the lack of access to medicine, a declining sugar industry, widespread water pollution, and a terrible plumbing system that the Cuban regime has wrongly blamed on the embargo. The Cuban government uses these sanctions as a scapegoat for the failed economic system and views the Americans as the enemy. Lifting the embargo would show Cubans and the world as a whole the evils of Cuba's communist state. Finally, almost no one actually supports the embargo. For 22 years straight, the UN has condemned this. 187 out of 190 nations condemned US sanctions and the policy is not much more popular in the United States. 80% of Cuban Americans say that the embargo has not worked. 62% of Americans believe that the United States needed to reopen diplomatic relations and 51% of Americans wanted to open up trade with Cuba. There is no reason that a policy so wildly unpopular should stay in place particularly one with only a legacy of failure. Thank you. Now here are a few facts about this topic. The United States attempted to assassinate Fidel Castro on 638 occasions, but the dictator ended up dying of old age. The night before he signed the embargo, President John F. Kennedy sent his press secretary to buy 1,200 Cuban cigars. 
Only two countries agree with the United States that the embargo should continue. Even though Cubans are technically allowed to access the internet, it would cost the average Cuban 26% of their salary. Christmas was banned in Cuba from 1969 to 1997, and Christmas is still a normal working day. The average Cuban makes less than $30 a month. Fidel Castro declared John Lennon to be a musical revolutionary, so he erected a statue of the musician. More than 1 million Cubans have moved to the United States since Castro's rise to power. It has only snowed once in recorded Cuban history. Government vehicles are required to pick up hitchhikers. And finally, the U.S. leases Guantanamo Bay for only about $4,000 a year. I encourage you to do more research on this topic in order to fully develop your own opinion and be open to opposing viewpoints. All sources used in this episode are available on www.trialbyreason.com. A poll will be posted there in order to measure which side was more persuasive. Check back every Sunday in order to put the issues on Trial by Reason. Trial by Reason is based in Kenosha, Wisconsin and hosted by Benjamin Rodoff. You can contact me at trialbyreason at gmail.com or www.trialbyreason.com contact.